part of your favorite way of kind of putting yourself in the world. Yeah, that and parenting has been huge too. You know, I don't, I, you know, like all parents, I lose my cool sometimes, uh, but I really, I wanted to be everything my parents were unable to be for me kind of thing. Yeah. Not that I begrudge them. They just had their hands full. I also have my hands full, but I, I, I want to be very present at all times with them. Yeah. And sometimes that looks different. I mean, sometimes that means when you're walking your two-year-old across a huge parking lot, you just got to walk really slowly, not try to hurry them along. You just got to, you know, kind of stand on it. Like, I'm going to enjoy this. She's holding my finger. We're just going to walk. It's going to take us eight minutes to get across the Safeway parking lot, but we're going to get there. <laughs> when that's happening, when that's happening, everything feels right, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I try to use everything I possibly can to, to get to that place where, you know, I'm present. Yeah. So when you're writing, um, does it come to you as like a visual and you're writing down what you're, when you're sort of writing a scene or do you feel like you're inventing uh, events that happen? I'm just trying to get a picture of your, when you're focused and in the flow and you're writing for eight, eight, eight or 16 hours. I mean, when I'm hitting on all cylinders, it's almost yeah. more like taking dictation. I mean, I, I guess visual would be the way I put it. It's like there's a, a, a movie in my head um, and I'm just writing it down. I'm just yeah, trusting yeah, it, you know what yeah. I mean? I, I, yeah. It doesn't, I don't, and the language at this point, like I'm not somebody who works my sentences really hard. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can write luminous prose when they're called for, I guess, but mostly I, it's, the words are just there to serve the story. And um, at this point I've written so many of them that I don't really think about it. I'm not really shaping my sentences. Sometimes I'll go back through in a draft, but I really don't work the sentences that much. Yeah. The main thing is I want it to just swing. And so I just, basically it's just, I got this picture in my head and I'm just, the words are there for me. I have instant yeah. access to them because I'm used. And there was a time, you know, 20 years ago, I had to think about a word or go to the thesaurus. The now, most of the words I use are there. Most of the, the verbal facility is developed to the point where I don't really have to think about it so much. Yeah. So I don't feel like I'm being that crafty while I'm doing it. You yeah. know, I don't, I don't want, you know, saying what's happening. I'm just not even there, you know, I mean, in the, in a perfect world, I'm just not even aware and hours are going by and I'm stacking up pages. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's a blessing. It feels really you know, good. I'd be a junkie or dead by now if I didn't have it. And that's the honest, that's the honest to God truth. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying about it. You really do use it to regulate your whole mind and your whole body. It sounds like it's just to let that flow. Yeah. Because I go to zero to 50 so fast, you know I mean? That's why, you know, I had to train myself not to, you know, as a parent, not to just explode, you know, star breaths, yeah. take a deep breath here. Don't, you know, don't start yelling at the kids don't parent from three rooms away kind of thing, get down on their level, like be present. And uh, yeah, because I can go from zero to 50 so fast. Like yeah. this morning before, before we got on the phone, I woke up, I was like a zombie. I was like, I don't know. I got too much REM sleep or something last night and yeah. I'm drinking coffee and I'm like, God, what is wrong? I mean, I'm not hung over or anything like that. And, and then once we started yapping, now I, you know, now I can't slow down. <laughs> well, you know, it's another really beautiful thing about it is, is really what you're saying is love is what pulls you. 
you know, love focuses you. What you know, you love what you do, and you're then you're around your your sweet kids that you love so much, and that like pulls you forward. It's actually a really lovely thing to hear about. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean, that sounds like a simplified version of it in a weird way, but that's really what it comes down to. That's when we're all at our best, I think. Yeah. But I appreciate what you're saying about you're really like I, I hear your gratitude for finding a way to do that that wasn't destructive, that it was that it was because of what you love. And so you stayed on this side of things with us. Yeah, and yet there's still a destructive element to it. I mean, I, I'm not that good to my body with all the, you know, I'm not like drunk daddy or anything. My kids don't even, you know, I yeah. metabolize alcohol so fast. Like I could drink like 10 beers and I'm not slurring, you know, it's just, I metabolize really oh, fast, really? but it gets me to a place where I'm a little more patient, slows me down a little bit, but like, I was thrilled when I got all these blood panels done. My liver count was good. I'm like, Woo! I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was kind of like, here it comes. I finally got to find a new way to manage this, you know, and, and uh, now, oh, you look good. Glucose good. Liver counts good. It's still your way of regulating that, um, is working really well and you're you know of course your beautiful writing shows it i'm just learning each time too like i don't every book i trying to every book i'm trying to push myself to some to, 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 to develop new tools you know i want to play in a high stakes game you know i don't i don't want to win 21 to 3 you know i want to win 21 19 or even lose 21 19 i want to play in a high stakes game and, and the best way to do that is to try something I've never done. And, mm. and that was a challenge after small world because there was, you know, so many points of view and it, you know, it was pretty ambitious in its uh, execution, but I found a way to do something that I've never done. That was, I think even formally more challenging than that. After that book where I challenged myself so hard, I had to find a new way to challenge myself even harder and try something I'd never tried before, but in a different way. I didn't want to write another small world that just had a ton of, like another huge cast with a bifurcated timeline. I had to find a new way to, to write a narrative that would challenge me and force me to develop tools that I didn't have yet and stuff like that. And I found one and that's exciting. Now I have to figure out a way to do it with the next book. So I see what you're saying. So part of what you're saying is another thing that's important to you as a writer is, is you're sort of a, this might be the wrong way to say it, but you like the thrill seeky thrill-seeking part of, I need to do a next challenge. Okay, I did that. I need I need to climb something higher now. That's what I'm hearing also really drives you is to find a new um, a new mountain to climb and how you do it, yeah? Yeah, that, and I've always valued range in a writer. I always wanted to be a writer with a lot of range. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of my favorite writers really didn't have a lot of range. I love Kurt Vonnegut. He, I'm, you know, he helped form my worldview, but I mean, I'm, I'm not ready to say that I thought he had a great range, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Necessarily a huge range. The voice was always kind of the same, the quirky, you know, I want to write books that somewhere in me, I think my readers recognize me each time, but like, they're always kind of surprised, you know, or I want them to be surprised that this is going in maybe a different direction they thought, or this is showing some elements that I wasn't prepared for, or I hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. And at some point I'm going to repeat myself, you know, you write a lot of books and you're going to repeat yourself. So it's not always like that clearly, but like at least at some point in every book, I want, I want to, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying show off my range, but I want to develop it for, for, for my reader, but also for myself, just like you said, because of the challenge. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think when something becomes challenging, you know, when it ceases to be challenging, then, you know, and you keep doing it, it's just going to become a little boring. And then if that happens, then I'm not so sure it's going to help me manage my best self anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm not, I'm going to be, I could start phoning it in at that point. Right. But it sounds like where some people might think you know, a challenge would be a certain kind of writing about a certain subject would be challenging. What I hear you saying is it's actually like the nuts and bolts, the mechanics of the narrative mechanism. You like to muck around with that and try to go to a new place with that, with the structure. Right. For me, it's all in exactly. It's more about the telling of the story. I mean, look, I only really have a couple of themes, you know? I mean, it's not thematically, it's all about connection, human connection, and the necessity of human connection. And, and then, you know, maybe like some sub themes like masculinity and crisis, things like that. I really deal with a lot of the same themes over and over. For me, it's all in the telling of the story. You know, I mean, there's an endless, there's endless ways to tell the story. And to me, that's what's interesting because writing a story to me is like telling a joke. I mean, it's like in a simplified version, a joke is like a narrative in that like the idea is to create an expectation in your listener or your audience and then undermine that expectation in a way that is at once surprising and inevitable. And that's why we laugh because we recognize, but we weren't expecting it. And so that's what a narrative does for me. It's like this dance between the reader and writer where, you know, they're doing everything I'm doing backwards and heels. And so if I'm always aware of that, it becomes the best tool you have as a writer, because then you can manage their expectations and sort of, you know, persuade them and start to use things like this direct and red herrings and things that, you know, mystery writers and, you know, genre writers sort of understand a little better. Most, you know, a lot of literary fiction tends to be quieter and a little clunky narratively, whereas like the mystery writer understands misdirect and they understand, you know, so it's sort of fusing, using those tools, but in a, in a literary way, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That one. If you're just joining us, our guest is Jonathan Evison. This is KBOO 90.7 FM, Portland. Yeah, so when you were talking about small world, you used the phrase, I wanted to swing for the fences. And you're one of the people that talks really far away from your lived experience. Can you say how comfortable you are with writing far from your non-lived experience these days? Super comfortable. It's kind of the goal. I mean, I mean, I know the onus is on me to get it right. You know, I, I like to write, they say, write what you know. I say, use what you know, write outside your purview so you can grow. The whole goal for me is to try to become a more expansive person, to try to accue, accrue lived experience that I haven't actually lived. So, so uh, I don't want to stay in my own lane. I, I mean, the onus is on me not to hit any false notes and, uh, so, I mean, when I do write outside of my own purview, I, I find readers that will keep me honest. Like if I write about the combat veteran experience, yeah. I'm not just going to throw that out there without having one of my friends that actually did three tours in Iraq mm-hmm. vet it for me. You know what I mean? Because, you know, as a reader, if I hit one false note, I, I, I can lose you as a reader. So I like that challenge, too. Yeah. And, and I also kind of believe that, you know, what I'm really going for is this universal experience of being human human and that can look a lot of different ways in a lot of different contexts as 
you know, across gender lines, across racial lines, across socioeconomic lines. And, but beneath all that, you know, I'm trying to find that, you know, that universal experience. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, it's, it's like Whitman said, we all contain multitudes. You know what I mean? I feel like that experience is that the ability to empathize, empathy is the big key, I guess, for me is when I'm writing these things, I'm not, I'm not writing them from afar as some sort of um, social critique. I'm trying to get inside the experience itself. And for me, it, it was well, say writing Harriet Chance, writing an 80 year old woman did not feel, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. It didn't feel that different to me. There's a lot of window dressing, a lot of contextualizing that has to happen. Like, how is this different? I mean, we just pick anything. I mean, how is it different for me to walk through a parking a.m. And, and, and a woman to walk through a parking garage at 2 a.m., given the culture we live in? And so, you know, I mean, it's like you have to calibrate all these things and take them into consideration when you're trying to write that experience. And then, of course, you have to have somebody tell you if you're getting it right. So book banning being on the rise in amount and intensity and Lawn Boy, um, that book ban was initiated by a mother at a school board meeting, right? Yeah, Leander, Texas. Yeah. So what was interesting to me, the question I wanted to ask about it was teenagers love your writing. And, And that's why these kind of parents are getting access to them. So I was wondering if is part of what's getting all these people jacked up is that you write about coming of age in an alternative, more expanded version of America where there are queer kids and there are class differences. And do you think that's part of what makes people so crazy about choosing your book is because it's so authentic? Yeah, I mean, I think below the, I mean, there's nothing in my book that, kids aren't going to find it in any just you know like a rated r movie or a judd apatow film or i mean god knows they can find much worse in terms of graphical content and things like that anywhere they want i think i'm trying to write about books that speak to experiences to people that don't aren't finding those experiences and and so in trying to in trying to uh, banish these books they're they're trying to in, in essence they're sort of robbing these people from having the stories that resonate with them because they would rather they would rather these people stay on the margins of society. I, I mean, I, I truly believe that they would just rather, you know, gay people stay on the margins, brown people stay on the margins. I think they don't like it because it empowers them. There's nothing particularly great about the book. I mean, any more than any literary novel, I don't think. I mean, I just think what they really, what really scares them about it is that it, it normalizes it somewhat and because it is normal and I don't know who they think they're protecting because guess what their teenage kids have gay friends and brown friends and you know I I just it's 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 really just naked political posturing I think they these people just want to keep everything white Christian and you know cisgender like you know I I I don't know I I don't there's nothing pornographic about the book I know that you know I get I get these horrible you know weekly uh horrible hate letters from people calling me a groomer and and saying just awful things about my daughters like oh. that that I that uh, what have you done to your daughters I'll bet you touch your daughter oh. I mean I'm like you know project much 
you're calling me a pedophile and you're you're painting this graphic figure of my daughters behind bushes and it's disgusting and these people have obviously never read the book they've uh you know they've they've conflated a sexual experimentation between a couple of 10 year olds that was innocent into uh pedophilia which it is by definition not this is out there it exists so just thinking about lawn boy one of the th things about your writing is that your characters go through so much but one of the themes i find in your work is that all kinds of terrible things happen to your characters but you seem to safeguard their essence in a way like mike in some way some part of his innocence was protected in the way that you wrote him and that really seems to be a theme in your writing is that sort of empathic protection of a of coming of age moments in people's lives have you had that commentary before about your work no that's a really good input i mean it's been couched differently uh as i mean i'm eternally optimistic that's me at my centers i'm eternally optimistic it's funny you couched it in coming of age because I do the same thing with my uh, 103 year old character in the last book I finished, uh, you know, and somebody even makes that comment about, you know, about their innocence, despite their, despite their experience. Uh, that's what I've done for myself, I think, is to protect my innocence. I never wanted mm. to be a cynical person. I never wanted life to wear me down I, because you just see what happens. I mean, when you're a child, that's your fear of adulthood, you know? that adults become so serious and bogged down and lose their ability to to laugh and celebrate and they, they just become so burdened by experience and i never wanted that to happen i always wanted to be a blotter i always want to be awake to life and uh, and you have to definitely learn how to compartmentalize and you know you know uh build some whatever sort of bulwark necessary to you know short of being delusional but I mean, that's important to me. I think that a lot of people give up a lot easier than some people. I think I think it takes more strength and courage to remain optimistic than it does to become negative. I mean, mm. clearly, I mean, I think that's a demonstrable truth. I think it's pretty easy to give up. Do it for the pure reason that I love to do it and that it serves its purpose for me and that it's part of my life gestalt and not get bitter about, oh, those New York publishers, they just want crap. They can't recognize my genius or, you know what I mean? I hear that from young writers where they get bitter and I'm like, dude, but you, you gotta earn those stripes, buddy. You wrote like one or two failed novels, go write seven. So I've heard you say over time that you write more and more as a reader. And I wanted to dig into that a little bit more that you like to write as a reader. Um, can you say a little bit more about that or sort of at maybe even use an example from small world any way to illustrate what you're saying for me it comes back to i think i touched on it earlier about uh the reader being my greatest tool i'm trying to give somebody a, a great ride like i know what i like as a reader and i'm trying to recreate that experience for my reader so it's not a matter of trying to please the audience you know i don't do it because i'm trying to please the audience because really the audience is me just on the other end of this process yeah. but i know that i love to be active as a reader i don't want to be i don't want i don't want everything to be spelled out for me i'm not just along for the ride i'm i'm collaborating in the ride and so 
more and more as I as I mature as a novelist, I think the novels have sort of a puzzle-like element, which I guess you would call a little more plot-driven than character-driven. They're always character-driven at the end of the day. But I know that as a reader, I love to make connections. I love to have those aha moments. I love convergences of characters. I love when divergent parts of a narrative come together. I love these pleasures of, 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 of reading myself. And so I want to recreate those for the reader. It's about entertainment as well as edification. You know what I mean? I want them to, um, I want them to just like I described how when I write the book, I want to accrue real experience that feels real or lived. Like, so the ultimate compliment is when you get a letter or a note or something for a reader. I, I remember I got one for All About Lulu where the reader was like, you know, I, I was, you know, I, you know, they were basically describing a scene in the book and they thought it was from their own life. And they were like, I was trying to figure out why was it those big dinosaurs in Cabo Zone and who the girl I was in love with and like, what was I doing here? Cause I didn't even live here. And then they realized it was the book, you know what I mean? And that, that's what I want to give them. I mean, that's the ultimate goal is to, to uh, for the reader or the writer is to feel like you've had this lived experience that you didn't live to be more expansive than the purview of your own 80 years and your own, the trappings of self, you know what I mean? To be able to transcend that. And that's why the ultimate challenge for me is to write outside my purview. Now I've had a lot of experience. I'm lucky, but I'm particularly lucky because I've had an incredibly dynamic group of friends over the, across all genders and races and sexual orientations and nationalities and experience and like, and I listen to them and, and I, you know, and I know them and I love them. And I, 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 I soak up their, I soak up their experiences and their, uh, their, uh, you know, um, impressions of what it's like to be human. And, and, and I try to absorb those into my experience and, and, and do them justice. And so that's what I mean about the reader. I, 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 again, I just think it's the same thing. The readers on one end, it's like a conversation and the readers on one end and the writers on the other. And so nobody likes, you know, we all have acquaintances that are, don't have dialogues. They just have monologues or, Biologues, I call them, where it's like you say something and then they just counter with a similar story from their experience and you just go back and forth. And it can be kind of interesting, but it's not an active conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, when somebody tells me an interesting story, I like to come back with a question. I like to dig deeper into that experience. I don't just want to tell my story. Okay, my turn. Now your turn. That's a biologue. I want it to actually be a dialogue. And so the best way is to think about the reader and think about what information to view the story purely as information on some level. Like what does the reader know? What information have I given the reader and how can I undermine their expectations knowing what they know versus knowing what I know? Because you make the mistake as a writer, it's very easy because you know the off the, off the page backstory. You know all these things about your character that you have not shared with the reader. And so you have to keep track of what they know. Mm -hmm. And so when you do that, it becomes so much more playful and so much funner for you as the writer and for the reader. It becomes a lived experience. It becomes, that's how you make it feel like real experience, I think, is to involve the reader rather yeah. than just yeah. presenting mm -hmm. to them. Oh, it makes perfect that's sense. That's why I, like, when I do speaking engagements, as much as I hate the way I just, blah, 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 you know what I mean? I, I can't, every time I try to prepare a keynote speech or something like that, it just, I, it just falls apart and I'm just like... <laughs> I just throw the papers and they flutter down. I go, let's start over. And then I just start talking because I feel like 
as much as I don't like it, I feel like the audience is least engaged because I'm vulnerable. Like they're getting the real me, I'm vulnerable. They don't know what I'm gonna say, or I should say, I don't know what I'm gonna say next any more than they do. So it becomes an actual thing rather than a presentation. I don't like presentations. That's why I never did good in school. I don't like having stuff just presented to me. I wanna be an active part of a living learning experience. So it sounds like maybe over time, I just wanna see if I have it, maybe over time, the way you like to be pulled in by something, you feel more able to do that. So you feel more, like you're saying, writing more as a reader, like the way that you love to receive information, you feel like you can do that now more. Right, I understand the mechanism. I understand how the information is passed, how the little trail of crumbs is, yeah. is left to create an expectation and, and how I can pull that carpet out from under them, but also offer a soft landing. So one last question, um, do you keep, you were talking about I've written two more books and a screenplay, but um, do you keep multiple books in your mind at the same time? Are you, do you have multiple books working themselves in your mind at the same time? Yeah, usually two, but like different parts, Some, well, kind of three, because I'm usually at three different parts of the process. It doesn't, it's not as schizophrenic as it sounds. It's like, I'm not trying to, Composing the book is the hardest thing. That's the one that takes the most, the most of your self. But like, I'll be copy editing one book, maybe researching another book and then composing a third book. So it's not getting all mixed up in there yeah. in the mind, there are three different processes, and which is also another tool for productivity. You know, people like, you know, there's always work to be done. And if I have three projects, well, I can get some research done. I can get some copy editing done. You know, it takes a lot of energy, um, but I may not have time to to sit down and write a scene because I four full scenes. Yeah, that makes sense. So it helps me be productive. Well, thanks so much for your time. It's been a great talk, Jonathan. Oh, thank you. I loved it. Thanks for listening to Between the Covers here on Caden Portland, 90.7 FM, with musical help from John Bechtel. If you'd like to hear a longer version of this interview, head to kboo.org. And thanks for listening. I love you, K-Boo. K-Boo Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of Portland Tyco Farm Fest on Sunday, August 28th from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. at Trisley Farm in Westland. Portland Tyco blends traditional Japanese taiko drumming with dynamic choreography and storytelling. That's Portland Taiko Farm Fest on Sunday, August 28th from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. at Trisley Farm, 29700 Southwest Mountain Road in West Lynn. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events.